Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Well, you guys are in for a real treat because today I have not one but two experts with me on the podcast. And before I introduce you to these two incredible ladies who are absolute experts when it comes to the mind and the body, I want to read to you a text message that I recently received from one of them. And it goes like this. These are the times to walk our talk and inspire those around us to connect with the best part of themselves. I truly believe that hardship is a privilege we can harness to show the magnificence of the human mind. When we focus on the abundance in our lives, on love, on gratitude, on compassion and kindness, we can overcome any mountain. Well, what a beautiful text message to have received, not only from one of our regular contributors, but a dear friend of mine. So I want to introduce you to um, these two incredible ladies who have put together a fantastic book called Brace for Impact. And it's, this book is the culmination of their collective experience. And it is about how to survive and thrive in the pandemic era. So, you know, despite the uncertainty and um, ravages that pandemics bring, their patterns are known and predictable. So too are the immense impacts on our body and our mind. So to survive and thrive, we must become masterful at managing ourselves despite the risks. So with a focus on the double-sided coin of mind and body, the book Brace for Impact is an awesome guidebook for surviving and thriving in this COVID-19 pandemic. So a little bit about both authors and, well, I should introduce them first. Uh, Of course, we have Alessandra Edwards and new to our podcast is Dr. Amy Silver. Collectively, together, they have decades of knowledge gathering and experience in physical, genetic, behavioral, social, and psychological strength. And they want you to know what they know. And this is why they've come onto this podcast and generously have uh, given up their time because they want you to be strong going into this pandemic and even stronger coming out of it, which is something that I'm really keen on. So the book is awesome. We're going to talk about the book today. And uh, there's also a very special gift for you at the end of this um, uh, podcast from both Alessandra and Amy. And I really hope you enjoy this podcast. Now, most of you know Alessandra Edwards is a peak performance expert and she's been a speaker on both Upgrade Your Life events and a regular contributor to our podcast. So most of you would know her, but um, for those of you that don't, She has decades of experience uh, working at the cutting edge of tailored health and ultra wellness programs. You know, she's been a yoga instructor, Ayurvedic medicine learner and teacher. And, you know, she advises corporate leaders, Olympic athletes and a lot of um, high flyers um, locally and internationally. And she is extremely passionate about helping these corporate athletes you know, achieve their maximum potential. And she does this by uh, leveraging her background in health science and clinical nutrition. 
and she has a postgraduate professional certificate in genetics and genomics from Stanford University. And um, look, I could go on and on about her uh, her uh, experience, but you will find her um, bio on the Higher Branch website. That's higherbranch.com.au. And if you want to know more about Alessandra, her clients, and she has some awesome free downloads on her website. It is alessandraedwards.com. And now that leads me to the new person that's coming on our podcast, Dr. Amy Silva. This is the first time I'm meeting and speaking with Amy, but her bio is absolutely phenomenal. And I am so keen on showcasing our Australian talent because we don't get to hear enough from the awesome things that Australians are doing and experts uh, like Dr. Amy Silva. Now, Amy is a psychologist, a speaker and facilitator. She is a leading expert in safety mindsets, how we create them for our own well-being and for each other, for high-performance teams, something that I'm keen for in my own business. And uh, she's really passionate, just as passionate about helping people as Alessandra. But I love her specific focus. It's about helping people feel safe enough to be courageous in their connection to themselves and to others. Uh, She has a doctorate in clinical psychology, master's in forensic psychiatry, master's in performance, bachelor's with honours in psychology, and she has uh, amazing therapeutic training in cognitive therapy, such as cognitive analytic therapy, compassion therapy, as well as acceptance and commitment therapy, which you would all know, especially if you attended Upgrade Your Life 2020, is one of the key elements to living consciously. And she is a contributing author in many books, including the acclaimed Oxford Handbook of Behavioral Experiments from the Oxford University, and has published her own book, called Conversations Create Growth. And she has also published widely in academic journals and um, magazines and now publishes fortnightly in a popular business-focused blog called Silver Linings, which I am so keen to read. Anyway, without further ado, ladies, Alessandra and Amy, welcome to A Higher Branch. Thank you for having us. So uh, um, for most of our community, High Branch community would know who Alessandra is. She had uh, one of the uh, most popular podcasts of 2019. Uh, It's uh, actually in the top three, which is pretty awesome when you consider we've had David Goggins, uh, Jim Quick and Dr. Guy Winch. And uh, a few people have actually been emailing me recently saying, oh, remember that podcast you recorded with uh, Alessandra on you know, how do we bookend our day and get our circadian rhythm in tune? So they still, like, they remember it and they go back to it. But I love, Alessandra, what you've done in this collaboration with Dr. Amy Silva. You've written an incredible little book that I, I just love. Uh, it's called Brace for Impact. When I say little book, it's actually, it's, uh, there's quite a lot of information there. But it's a, a little gem of a book, I should say, because Alessandra would know that I pay not just a lot of uh, focus to the physical health, but to the emotional. Mm. And I like the marriage of both those components uh, in this book. You've both managed to bring it together beautifully. And the way and uh, how quickly you've uh, brought it together shows that you genuinely care for humanity. Uh, Like with the content, I read the first third, but then I started skipping to a number of other chapters just to get the full flavour of it before this podcast. I'm just so surprised of how quickly you put this content together because it's so valuable and it is obviously testament to the fact that this is what you guys do in your practice 
and you've trust translated it and changed the context to the challenges that we're going through now with um, COVID-19. So, um, Alessandra, if I can start with yourself, and um, the, you've obviously addressed the physical as well, but there, there is overlap, obviously, between yeah. you. So just tell us, uh, what does this book do for the person that's listening or watching at this time? What is, it, what is the number one takeaway for, for them from the, uh, from the physical perspective on how to overcome the challenges of this pandemic? So for us, first of all, the writing of the book and the coming together, we've, we've known each other for, for a long time from a personal perspective. And uh, we also work together um, in terms of uh, delivering, um, you know, programs related to high-performing teams in, uh, uh, in corporation and government. So there was already sort of that enmeshment, if you like, together. The reason we wrote the book and the number one takeaway for people when they read it is the understanding that no matter how hard things feel right now, you always have choice. And the choice is based on your own development of your own awareness and then the development of your own self-mastery of how you conduct yourself in terms of dealing with change and disruption. So the, the number one thing I think if, um, if Amy and I could guarantee that everyone walks away with this one extra piece of knowledge is the hope that it is not all terrible and we can choose to make it terrible if we so wish, but we don't need to. And the physical prison only becomes a real prison when we allow ourselves to let the brain and our emotions and our whole nervous system lead the way rather than becoming in control and in charge so before we even go through the details, I think that that, that is the master message. It's a message of hope and also a message of um, calling oneself up to self-responsibility. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I really do. And because this, this uh, uh, pandemic has a physical threat and it has an emotional threat as well because, uh, and you hear a lot of people say that the fear pandemic is worse than the viral pandemic. And the fear also reduces your immune system and makes you more susceptible physically. Right. So I, I, that's why I love this book. And I hope it uh, you know, gets out there internationally and not just uh, nationally as well, because the way you've managed to cover both really does uh, give you that, uh, you, walk, you walk away with that sense of hope. So, uh, Alessandra, with the, um, actually, before we talk about that, um, uh, the physical, because you've, you've laid out a number of protocols to protect yourself. But uh, uh, Dr. Amy Silver, we, our community does not know you and uh, really, really honoured to have you on the episode. And uh, so um, uh, what's your take on what Alessandra said as well and what I've just added about the, the physical and the emotional? Because you are, um, from what I said up front, uh, you have an incredible <laughs> list of qualifications and your grounding is in psychology. So what's your overall context? Yeah, I mean, the reason that we work so well together in our programs and obviously in the book is we have had lots and lots of conversations about this being a double-sided coin, the, the mind and the body, and these connections are so important. 
And I think, um, you know, just to to reiterate what Alessandra said, our, our major intention with the book and with any of the work that we do is really to enable people to understand themselves better um, so that they can evolve um, through whatever it is that we're facing. We don't expect that this will be the last opportunity for us to um, really stretch. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think the pandemics are going to stop coming, um, but I do think that we have this incredible opportunity to upgrade um, ourselves in terms of our understanding of how to manage um, our physicality, how to manage our emotions, um, and put that puts us in a better state to prepare to, yeah, as a human race, evolve uh, into our, what we think is our new normal. Yeah, because your message is don't wait for pandemics to build up emotional resilience. You need to be prepared. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I think this book will be you know, a, a go-to for future pandemics, which will no doubt uh, come. But um, you're having to deal with the, the fear pandemic, yeah. which will be around a lot longer uh, than the physical threat and yeah. the impact that has on our relationships. Yeah, and we were dealing with it before the pandemic too. We were just calling it about change or, um, you know, and so this is about a, a human skill that we need to develop and get stronger at. Um, and our environmental pressures are showing us that we need to do that. Um, so, yeah, this is a, a longer term story about how to really use our intellect to start to manage ourselves and that core part of our brain that, um, you know, is triggering and firing all over the place, really just getting that connection stronger so that we've got more control over ourselves and more capability to to manage into whatever it is that we might be facing in the future. Excellent. So I want to ask Alessandra about the physical impacts, but before that, what's going on at the moment for people, you know, uh, emotionally and mentally uh, with this pandemic? What is, uh, people are feeling stuff, but they're not quite knowing how to express it and how to label it, how to process it. So what is what is going on at the moment at the global scale there is a huge amount going on for us right now we are being bombarded with information and with feelings and it's really really tricky for our little brains to figure out all of that stuff usually we have a process of identifying our emotions and then sharing it with other people who may not be experiencing the same level of emotional um, distress right now we're all experiencing emotional distress which makes it quite difficult to um, put a language to our emotions because we're all feeling different things. We've also got this stacking of emotions. So what started off as fear or panic um, then sort of had a, a layer of loss put on top, then had a layer of angriness and aggression and they, this sort of stacking of emotions that we've just not had time to process effectively. And from my context and from the work that we do together, we know that uh, people aren't great at being able to label their emotions, um, give them a sort of a, a, a context that becomes something that we can uh, turn towards and, and give us clues about what to do. So if we can name it, we can tame it. If we understand how to really uh, turn towards our emotions, not be frightened of them, we don't stack on even more emotions. So what, what can happen is that when we are feeling anxious or sad, uh, we then stack on a layer of shame or a layer of guilt. Um, you know, who am I to feel this when there's all this other 
um, distress going on or, um, you know, I better not say that I'm feeling this because I shouldn't really be vulnerable right now or I should be looking like I'm in control. So that stacking on of even more emotions is really rife right now. So I feel like people are emotionally quite exhausted uh, this range of emotions that are coming at them uh, with very little processing time, uh, ever-changing world. So it's more difficult emotions. We're carrying a lot of other people's emotions too. We're very conscious of the weight of um, other people's emotions and the combination of that with the fact that we actually don't have our usual coping strategies right now. One of the most key coping strategies for dealing with emotional distress is distraction. Uh, and right now there's not a lot to distract us. So that's good for us as a human race because distraction is not necessarily what we would recommend for a long-term strategy to deal with emotional distress. So uh, what we have right now is an opportunity to think of and develop into new ways of managing our emotions. And by doing that, um, we, we increase our toolbox for understanding our, our emotional reactions. So obviously the emotions is impacting our physical self. And when that happens, then there's this uh, yo-yo effect or rather there's the symbiotic relationship between the physical and the emotional. So um, Alessandra, at a physical level, at a cellular level, what is happening internally to our body with these yo-yo emotions uh, and with this uh, fear? And how does that feel like in the body? What are the telltale signs and uh, what, what can people do? And I want to start with the physical as to what people do because that's often the easiest boxes to tick uh, that people can then take control. And then when they're at a baseline, then they can start working on the emotional. And Amy, we'll come back to you to go through that. But uh, Alessandra, what, what's going on inside us physically at the moment? I think that's the beauty of um, of us human beings, right? We we have these incredible two aspects, and um, you know, whilst from my lens, starting with the physical is always useful. We have to really remember that it's a little bit like a dog chasing its tail. So one thing morphs into the other. So as you were saying, the emotions will have a direct impact on our physicality, and vice versa. If we are already in a state of uh, of depletion and exhaustion, like many people I know, when COVID started, were already treading on very, very thin ground because they had been working incredibly hard, stress levels were very high. And so we entered then this extra layer of uh, sprinting with very little reserves. So it, it's good to understand that, you know, we, we can hack, if you like, this thing from either way. From my perspective, some people genetically are more prone to having a quick stress reactivity. And so it's important to have that awareness because when we go into these high periods of high crisis, what happens is that everything that was there before just gets amplified. It's as if like we're turning the volume up. Yeah? So being aware of that is really important. So at physical level, what's happening is that a state of fear and constant alert throws us into that phase of, you know, that we've all heard of before, fight or flight. So our brains literally become flooded with a cascade of chemicals that don't just stay in the brain, but then communicate with the rest of the body to give us this 
alert message of I am in danger. And particularly when the message here is a bit confusing, there's not really a lot of um, hard knowledge yet. Even the experts can't agree as to, you know, what level of immunity do we get when we have COVID? You know, who's at risk? We, we don't have really firm black and white guidelines. So that adds an extra layer. And so our cells are in overdrive to do a couple of things. Number one, keep us safe. So perpetuate the cycle of fear at cellular level. So cortisol levels will be going up. In the initial phases, dopamine goes up and um, adrenaline. And so initially, most people, even those who were exhausted, would have felt a burst of energy. Yeah, And that's required for our bodies to have to, to keep us safe and move away from pain. So that's normal. So initially... People would have felt more energized, more wired, um, and have had perhaps more of a can-do attitude. You know, just there were lots of very practical things to put in place. Now that we've been in this situation for quite a number of weeks, depending on the kind of capacity, a physical level that you brought into this, you're likely to be entering really the kind of harder endurance phase. So we've gone from the massive sprint, and remember that some of us may have been entering the sprint already depleted, to now the endurance phase. And what's happening is that it's as if like we've run lots of sprints, and now we're asking ourselves, our bodies, to sustain us for goodness knows how many more weeks or months to run a sustained marathon. So what happens is that at this level, physically, we enter a phase of adaptation. So everything gets a little bit down-regulated. So our brain, our adrenal glands, the output of all the hormones that gave us that initial wide energy get turned down. So this manifests in a number of ways. Number one, immunity will get depleted as we're literally running out of the building blocks for that. And so this is a concern, not just for COVID, but because we in Australia, we're entering the winter phase. There will be also down regulation in terms of the production of energy. So many of the clients we're speaking to at the moment are telling us that they're now starting to really um, lack of sleep as well. So difficulty sleeping. So initially there could have been insomnia because of lots of thinking. When we're going through the initial stress phase, there's a part of the brain that's connected to memory that constantly gives us the question of what if what if i uh, don't have a job what if i get sick what if my relatives get sick and so that that keeps going but then as we reach the level of physical adaptation that starts to become much more chronic and so even though the high alert stress may no longer be there this can still affect our ability to sleep and particularly in the initial phases, we'll have insomnia that's like onset related, so we can't fall asleep. But now we see the insomnia that's more related to maintenance. Yeah, so people struggling to stay asleep. In Chinese medicine, they look at this as a lack of real um, energy at very core level. And so this is a time that we need to start looking about tonifying ourselves. So adapting and adopting specific practices to make sure that we're very grounded at the physical level. So in the book, I look specifically at what, what is the physical safety related to immunity. And the biggies are looking at your digestion, because we know that 70% of our immune system lines the, the lymph, there's lymphatic tissue all around the gut. And so when we are depleted and stressed, that gets down-regulated. 
We also know that stress affects our gut microbiome and the gut microbiome speaks ongoing to our immune system. So particularly if you have a history of irritable bowel syndrome, uh, digestion that's not very strong, a lot of gas or bloating, pain, those kinds of things, then you are more at risk of um, you know, having immune depletion. So that's a really good focus for us, for you to, to start um, embracing. And um, the things that I recommend are very simple things that we can all start doing. First of all, having lighter food. So, you know, even though we have that emotional desire to have the, a lot of comfort foods, so a lot of stodgy fat, high sugar food, it's really important to protect our immune system that we start looking at energizing food. So, beautiful vegetables, uh, fruit, whole grains if you tolerate them, lean proteins, and remembering that we're going into winter. So less salads right now and more stews, soups. Um, if you tolerate them, prebiotic foods that feed your gut microbiomes like lentils, beans, pulses in general, those are really, really important foods. Probiotics have been shown in many of the literature to be really useful to uh, boost immunity, particularly bifidobacterium species are very, very important. So there's no harm in adding those into your daily regime. And the second thing, um, looking at the physical safety from an immune perspective is, uh, and I, I won't focus on everything, but I'll just pick a couple that are really the most important ones. I go through a lot of details of other supplements in the book, but my number one would be vitamin D. And uh, there was a study that came out just in the last two weeks that was specifically linked to our immune reaction to COVID and the intensity of the reaction. So I would say it is safe for everybody to start supplementing vitamin D. Right now, doing blood testing could be a little bit difficult as we are avoiding um, going to see doctors. So, um, you know, a safe dosage could be um, even a thousand IUs, which is what you can buy from any pharmacy every day. Obviously, if someone had a deficiency, I would recommend higher than that. But that's a good place to start as we go into winter. And vitamin D is absolutely essential for the brain to maintain healthy mental balance. It's really linked to the production of dopamine and serotonin. So we've got a lot of evidence that people who have lower levels of vitamin D have got a high risk of, um, of depression. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, immune dysfunction. What about uh, the role of supplements uh, such as zinc? I'm hearing a lot about zinc and quercetin, uh, I think it's called. Yeah, so, um, so that came about, that was a, a sort of a new exciting thing that, that came about in the last six weeks. There's still not a huge amount of evidence specific to um, quercetin. So uh, quercetin is a flavonoid that is found normally in foods such as onions, for example. And um, what they found, what this preliminary study looked at is the fact that uh, zinc, we've known for a long time, is really useful to boost immunity. But um, what we started to understand is that zinc does not penetrate cells very easily. And so it requires this method of transport called an ionophore. And quercetin is a, a, a transport. Now, what's really interesting is that some of the new treatments that are coming out that, that scientists are actually um, putting under the microscope are based on increasing intracellular zinc because it seems to be slowing down the replication of the virus 
DNA. So I didn't include the ionophores and quercetin in the book because, as you know, I'm very evidence-based. So I like to, uh, you know, I put things in statements once I know there's really strong evidence. But there is absolutely no harm in introducing quercetin as a, you know, as a supplement. And, you know, I would say probably starting at a lower dose of 400 milligrams daily. Um, so you could take the quercetin with your, um, with your zinc tablet and there's not going to be any harm in doing that. And who knows, it might actually be enhancing uh, your ability to absorb zinc into the cells. Beautiful. And uh, one other supplement that you really like that helps people sleep is magnesium citrate. Yeah. We've spoken about in another uh, podcast. So uh, rather than go through that now, we've spoke at length on that uh, previous podcast. So if you go back to last season, have a look at that episode because you've got me onto magnesium citrate. And I tell you, it's I wake up in the morning blissed out. <laughs> and right now that we're going through sort of more of the anxiety states, then I would say, you know, um, switching to a magnesium glycinate or adding some glycine to the routine would be really beneficial because um, we're getting to the phase where our calming neurotransmitter GABA is quite depleted and glycine is, an es is essential for the production of GABA. So you can either buy magnesium that already has the glycine attached to it, magnesium glycinate or you could continue with your magnesium um, citrate and uh, and add um, some glycine to it okay a really good point so uh, magnesium glycinate that's a precursor to um, the GABA. GABA yeah right can you take both yeah. magnesium glycinate yeah absolutely and it's safe for children so um, you know when my kids are feeling a little bit uh, sort of you know stressed and I mean this is even prior to the the pandemic um, just giving them you know a, a quarter tip of, of um, a quarter of a teaspoon of glycine is very safe and the thing about glycine is really easy to take as an amino acid it comes in a powder and it tastes just like sugar so it's very very easy to take and you'd start off with small amounts so start you know with half a teaspoon it's a potent detoxifier so if you feel a little bit nauseous then it probably means that it's opened up some detoxification channels so just pair back go back to you know a quarter teaspoon and uh, um, but it works really really well as a quick way to reduce anxiety very 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 quickly beautiful beautiful and um, uh, Amy I, the reason why I wanted to cover some of these aspects of the physical first is because it gives people that sense of control and what I've noticed about this pandemic, unlike any other time in history where we've all been impacted globally, if we look at the last time, it would have been, say, the Second World War, but people felt empowered during the Second World War because they could actually do something about it. But with this pandemic, we've been told to do nothing. And that, in a sense, makes us feel helpless. Um, so how do we deal with that, that uh, mood of helplessness where, hey, the best thing you can do is stay at home you know, eat and watch television. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that what you've heard, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> that's, what my, that's what most people are doing. And I received something in uh, my inbox this morning from Healthline or someone like that who was saying that their addictions to pornography uh, are becoming a huge problem and uh, addictions to um, just Netflix and binge-watching TV. Now, these are... These are serious concerns because if these become habitual and if this, uh, these restrictions last longer than 60 days, you know, research tells us you know, it takes two lunar cycles for habits you know, to cross the line of automaticity to become part of our subconscious. 
and uh, then we then we we're like these people are are in deep trouble how do they go back to life as normal yeah i think we will see a real shift in um what people are experiencing over the next few weeks we are definitely now in the chronic phase and if we were talking about disorders we we diagnose them from an emotional point of view within a four you know over a four week uh period yeah. things have to be there so um, we are definitely in a new realm of habit building and emotional distress on a level that's what we would describe as chronic. So, yeah, I think it's really complicated. I think the return to whatever will be uh, our new normal um, will be interesting. People will have a real struggle. I know with our clients, we're already talking to people about huge anxieties about going back to work and what you know some people just not being ready at all to return i think this fear piece is massive for people um you see it everywhere you go don't you when you're out in the street and you you see people kind of you see it in their in the white of their eyes there's sort of there's this habit right now that's building of being frightened of being near other people so i think that's that's really really important for us all to think about how to move us into a place where we actually become socially comfortable again. So what, what's your recommendation if someone is working from home? And uh, I have 80% of my staff working from home, but uh, we told them from Monday, you have the option to come back to work from the office. It's going to be interesting uh, who actually returns and overcomes their fears. What, what's your recommendation there? Should people return from an emotional perspective? I mean, obviously, you can't comment on the physical risks, but uh, what is better for people emotionally to go back to work and be around humans or to stay at home? I think what will be better for us as a society is that people are given a choice um, and that they can process that choice within the context of where they're sitting emotionally. So there will be people who will be absolutely desperate to get back to being around others. And I think for them, that's a really good thing. Uh, and something that we should enable them to do within the protections of the physical stuff. Um, but for others, I think they need to normalize their fears again. So we've been sent messages for a long time to our brain in a, in a huge number of ways that we need to be on our own, we need to be in a safe little bubble. Um, and that, that has had enough time to really set in people's brains as a way of keeping themselves safe. So for them to re-enter will be a massive threat for their emotions. Uh, they will see it as, um, as really very dangerous and it will be perceived as uh, somebody trying to make them return to an unsafe space. So I think for, for those people, they will need to have the norm reset again by example. Uh, and as they see this sort of swell of people kind of returning, it will help them normalize their fears again. So I think my overriding thing is being able to provide options for people to work with the change to them within the context of how their brain has processed what's been going on for them. Yeah, because you, you get the, uh, I mean, I hate putting labels, but you get the introverts who are saying, well, what, what's the issue? <laughs> this is how I live, yeah. right? <laughs> That's right. Um, and I think it's, it's really as well, also, apart from personality, it's also about our, our habits of dealing with emotions. So there are real habits that people have 
Um, you know, there is a need, uh, for example, for some people to be around other people to help calm their emotional um, height and stuff. Whereas for others, they need solitude and they need space. And so we can't really assume how people do that, but it will become clear when they make their choice. And I think to some extent we're seeing a lot more of each other and how we deal with things through this, even though we're less connected uh, physically, we are actually learning more about each other. I'm seeing your kitchen and, you know, I, I had these glimpses into your life um, that potentially I wouldn't do if you were sitting in, a, in an office space. So we have this sort of less incidental socializing, but more incidental connection. Um, and I think that's really important to put that in that context that when we do return, we actually will probably know more about each other's real lives than we did before. And that that will put us in a really lovely, beautiful position to create deeper, more honest, more authentic relationships with each other. Wonderful. I, I know a lot of uh, senior executives in banking and real estate and what have you uh, listen to our podcast. And a lot of them are wondering at the moment, you know, how long they should give that option to for people to work from home. Uh, is it really something that sh uh, should be offered on an ongoing basis from a mental and emotional well-being perspective? Or is it that even introverts really need people more than they would just admit, <laughs> like to admit? And, you know, we should tell people it's compulsory. We, we, like we don't know now whether to make a compulsory or optional and um, yeah, there, there are other you know factors that come into it: productivity and uh, effectiveness. Because collaboration, face-to-face -face collaboration, is a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think the other thing we we uh, were talking about this the other day with a client of ours around productivity and efficiency. Um, let's not forget that um, right now our productivity and our efficiency is down, but it's possibly not just because of the home working. It's because of the huge amount that our, our brains are trying to cope with right now um, and the stretch of boundaries that this blended life is giving us, particularly around yeah. childcare and stuff. So it's, that's why our productivity is down and our efficiency is down because of the, the stretch on our brains. When we do start to return, um, that productivity will increase um, and it, it doesn't need everybody to be out of a home environment for that productivity to increase because our brains will have started to process and change and adapt and move forward and we will have developed uh, an ever-increasing understanding of how to manage ourselves within this environment. So I think our productivity and efficiency will go up even if everybody doesn't go back. Excellent. Alessandra, did you have any thing to say about that? Yeah, I, I agree with Amy completely. Yeah. I think that within that, um, certainly with the clients that we've been uh, uh, having conversations with over the last few weeks, there seemed to be a, a very uh, disparate level of productivity um, depending on the teams. And I think that um, one of the important things is the culture. Uh, so I think that whatever the culture was, prior to the, the lockdown and isolation, that seems to really have had a big impact on the kind of productivity and performance. So places where the culture was about empowering the, the individual and having the conversations that Amy and I really like to promote and foster in terms of self-responsibility seem to be the ones that have fared this 
period the best. And that is because um, there's been this understanding of, well, how do you manage self throughout this? And so at physical level, what kind of routines did you put in place when working from home? What kinds of things, what kind of tools um, did we equip you with that could be at your disposal, which then are up to you to implement? So I think that in a way, this has been a, a huge learning uh, opportunity for many, many people. And we really hope that this allows the conversation to continue beyond the decision of do we make this compulsory or not? So sort of, I think that, you know, that's almost, you know, not relevant. I think the conversation is about what kind of culture do we have here? And are we truly empowering our people to grow and evolve as individuals so that, you know, the, the if you like, the prize is not just productivity. Uh, it's about do we actually have high-performing individuals who really understand themselves, who can um, be aware of the red flags for them and what that looks like, and what are the specific things and processes that they need to uh, implement to manage themselves. So I, you know, we, we really hope that this will give sort of a massive incentive to these conversations because, Things have changed, will continue to change. And as we say in the book, um, you know, COVID is just one, is one thing. You know, we know through history that every 30, 40 years, we get a massive pandemic. Uh, let's not forget that before COVID, we also and still have the HIV AIDS pandemic that, you know, does obviously has not made the news and it doesn't continue to make the news, but there are still pandemics that continue to exist and we all know that even prior to COVID, the levels of uh, stress, um, you know, overwhelm, the speed at which we are required to produce and how we're required to show up, it just keeps going up. So COVID and for us, you know, the Brace for Impact book was, um, gave us the ability to open the conversation, but ultimately it's about what do we do now to equip ourselves and our people to be the best version of themselves so that then, you know, we don't even need to have conversations about pandemics anymore. It's like, this is the new normal. How do we, do yeah. we evolve into that? That's, that's what I, uh, when I got to the bit about physical safety and you had a section there on, uh, you know, routine, a, a um, you know, a good routine to get into um, and creating healthy routines, I think uh, you called yeah. it. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, I think this is how we should be <laughs> living uh, even after this pandemic. And that's why I, I love the you know, universal nature of the book as well. It's not just for this pandemic, but it's beyond. Um, there was something interesting in that physical health, um, the physical safety part of the book. And you mentioned about gargling with green tea, uh, Alessandra. Yeah. Uh, now, I understand the benefits of drinking green tea, but what, what is that all about? <laughs> well, we, we always like to, uh, you know, have more bang for our buck. So that's how we think, right? <laughs> uh, my mum grew up in the Second World War, so I, I was definitely brought up with this concept of uh, how can we stretch everything, how can we make everything uh, go a bit longer. So um, so there was a new study that came out last year, and uh, so I'm, and I'm very careful in the book to say, okay, let's we, we can't necessarily extrapolate universe or uh, learnings from this, but nevertheless, I found it very interesting that, um, so it was a study that basically looked at the incidence 
of upper respiratory infections and how quickly people recovered when they gargled with uh, half a cup of, uh, of green tea um, four to six times a day. And um, given that four to six cups of green tea is what I generally recommend for well-being, so green tea has fantastic levels of uh, antioxidants, which are very protective for our DNA. So our DNA, especially in the modern day, is constantly bombarded by assaults, um, stress, for example, EMFs, right? So speaking to the, on the phone, all these kinds of things create mutations in our DNA. And as the mutations increase in speed and number, then we increase the risk of, you know, all the kind of degenerative diseases, cancer, cardiovascular disease that no one wants to have. And so green tea is fantastic for that. It also has the added benefit that it contains prebiotics. So you're also feeding the gut microbiome that I was saying earlier is good for your immune system. It's fantastic for detoxification, particularly of estrogen. So it's really, really beneficial for both men and women. And now we see that if we gargle with it before we swallow, the particular chemicals in it are antiviral. So they have antiviral properties. So it's a win-win. Uh, it's a cheap way to do it. Um, we now know that uh, for people who are caffeine sensitive, they can even buy the decaf version from the supermarket uh, and still reap every single benefit that I've mentioned. So it's, uh, for me, it's a no-brainer. Everybody should be on green tea. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And there's lots of other tips uh, in, that, in that section of the book. And we don't have time to go through all of them, but uh, people will have a link to the book. Uh, with this podcast and we're sending a link to all our community and I highly recommend that, that chapter that you talk about you know, garlic, uh, you know, benefits of plant-based and uh, yogurt and a whole heap of other really practical uh, stuff. Now, you also mentioned in the book some of the red flags, you know, uh, to look out for that where isolation, you know that isolation is taking its toll and there was uh, two from memory that I, I wanted to raise. And uh, this is probably a question for yourself, Amy. And that is when people stop making an effort to take care of their appearance, um, the, the question is like, why bother? And why is, it, why, is it, yeah, why is it important for people to take care of their appearance? And what, is it, what does it mean when you stop making an effort? Uh, what, what, why is that a red flag? It's a really interesting um, debate. Uh, it's one of the actual um, um, ways in which we diagnose depression um, is if people have stopped caring about the way that they present to other people. So yeah. it's a really um, big red flag in terms of emotional um, stuff, but that's within a normal context. And right now we are not in a normal context. We are not in such a social, socially strong um, connection. And so there is a real sort of, um, well, why should I? You know, I'm not seeing anyone. And um, why well, do I? And the hairdressers went open for a while. And, you know, you know, nobody's there to tell me that I can't have a beard and all the rest of it. I mean, I can't tell you how many beards um, I have on Zoom right now when I go to uh, meetings. There's so many beards. Um, I think that it's a very interesting reflection of society, you know, and potentially something that we do need to think about in terms of um, this inauthentic uh, versus authentic self that we put out there. So I actually think it's up for debate right now. Um, 
I think there is a suit that we put on when we go out of the house and there is a, um, an understanding, a communal understanding that, that uh, attention to appearance is a, is a socially sort of um, expected um, behaviour for us. So that's interesting, you know, it is interesting to sort of think, well, is that, is that right or wrong? But from a well-being perspective, what we do know is that if we get out of our routines, uh, bad things happen. So it's a really a case of being able to commit to self and understanding what makes me work well um, and what do I need to do in order to elevate the person that I'm being so that I dial up that notch of, um, of me that I want to project. So it's a tool to to create high performance in self really. Um, and that can look like whatever you want it to look like, you know, whether it's um, creating sort of, um, you, you know, the, the physical appearance of, of where you're at or whether it's about taking care of your skin and hair and whatever, but it's, it's, a, it's a decision around self and um, seeing self as a communicator and noticing that what we do with our appearance has an impact on how other people will behave towards us. Um, but from a routine perspective, it's really, really key um, that we keep on top of whatever it is that makes us feel um, like we are high performing. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't like having Zoom meetings where <laughs> people are in T-shirts and there's beards and they look at... <laughs> yeah, I... For me, I don't like that it's unprofessional, but um, I, I was thinking from an emotional perspective, I think it's better for people to, you know, look their best at all time because it builds confidence. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an in interesting topic. I, I have an amazing lady on the podcast um, coming on about the importance uh, of appearance and face ageing and the importance of taking care of your face. There's an interesting emotional take on that uh, as well because... I noticed with my teenage daughter, like when she wakes up in the morning, if she, you know, goes through her beauty routine, makes herself look uh, looked uh, good and with makeup and what have you, it's like a different person. It's like confidence building. You're ready to take on the world. And so my, my advice to people is, you know, get into that routine of waking up, getting dressed, shaving and, and doing your work. And uh, uh, we talked about the, the, those routines with Dr. Guy Winch a um, uh, couple of episodes ago. But um, one other thing that you, uh, you talk about that I really love, Amy, in the book was uh, about allowing space for your thoughts and feelings. And you mentioned, um, you know, the act of just writing and, and to yourself, having that conversation with, with yourself. And that was one of my biggest takeaways um, from that part of the book. Uh, do you want to tell us about how people can do that? Yeah, I, I think there is, there is obviously um, everything between um, just sort of writing it down for your own um, processing and you can take that piece of paper and scrunch it up and throw it in the bin. You know, it, you don't have to uh, create a gratitude journal, although that is the other end of the spectrum where you really kind of stick to a very clear routine about writing. But the general reason that we write or we would recommend writing your, your stuff down is because it feels very big and unmanageable when it's in your head. Um, people are not always that uh, find it that easy to distinguish between a thought and an emotion. 
So um, it's really tricky to do anything when you can't um, really get a narrative on what's going on. So the idea would be that you literally find some space wherever that is and you start to uh, narrate what's going on in your head. And sometimes for people that looks like bullet points, uh, it's sometimes it's a stream of consciousness. Sometimes by the time that you actually start to write it, you don't believe it anymore. It disappears and it's like a dream. You know, when you try to report um, a really vivid dream and you come in to talk to somebody about it in the morning and you've got all this like, oh my God, I had the most incredibly vivid dream. And then you start to... To, to tell somebody about it and the characters sort of move or now you're not quite sure where the setting was or no, that didn't quite happen like that. Or as you're starting to describe it, the facts sort of change. And I think that's a really key point that can happen with our brain is that once we start to narrate it, we can get into a position where we can analyze it clearly and kind of go, well, that's a really big jump. You know, I've just gone from, um, thinking about, you know, what's for dinner to, oh, my God, I'm never going to get back to a normal existence again. Where did I, how did I make those steps? So I didn't make any steps. Wow, that's interesting. So you have this sort of um, what we're really striving for with emotional management, which is this meta perspective where you come up above yourself and you look down at what you're experiencing and start to get into a position of, being the host of all of these things rather than being the experience itself. Because we want you to get some sort of separation between the experience of your thoughts and your feelings and you uh, being above and looking down. And writing is a really good way to start to get some labels to what you're doing, uh, start to get some narrative, something that's a little bit more distanced where you can look at it and kind of go, is it true? Um, what I'm thinking and right now there's a lot of truth to what we're thinking um, so we can't really always play that is it true if I jump to conclusions am I you know kidding myself if I got caught in a dysfunctional thought that's usual you know is it is it true is it not true but right now we can't really do that because a lot of these things are true so where we want to get to is is it helpful is it helpful to be thinking this at the moment? Does it help me perform at the level that I want to? Does it help me be the person that I want to? Does it help me stay above the line in my behaviors? And if it doesn't, well, that's a really interesting point of reflection because then you can kind of get to that choice point that Alessandra was talking about where we just move. We want to get to that point where we're choosing our response rather than having to do it because our emotions and our thoughts are driving us and we don't have any perspective on being above them. Beautiful. So practically when someone is actually sitting there writing in their journal, should they be asking themselves then, okay, what am I thinking right now? And then why am I thinking it? Is that the question someone should ask themselves when they're writing? Yeah, I think this is a skill in itself, right? So some people have a really clear access to what's going on in their brains, um, like, you know, voices, you know, really clear voices. Um, and other people just haven't got that skill of tuning in. So it really depends on where people are starting from. I think that what's most important, and obviously this relates to some of the stuff that we've been talking about, is the habit of doing it with no expectations of what would come out of it, uh, with no clear sort of um, rights and wrongs of how to do this, but really trying to get in tune with what's going on. So practically it might look like 
committing to um, a space during the day where you you are tuned into self and you have a pen and paper and you try to relate to what's going on in your head. And if you are somebody that really likes questions and you need to direct yourself, then yes, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Uh, what's going on for me right now? How do I think about uh, where I am and what will prepare me for, for moving forward? But some other people might just feel, you know, sitting with a pen and paper and just sitting and, and trying to tune in uh, will give them that opportunity to connect. So it's really, it's a really, it's a journey of self to understand how to build a relationship with the the cognitions and the emotions that are going on. But I think that the, the key thing and the key skill is to decide to do it um, and then to maintain it as a practice. And you can do it, you know, three times a day if you want to, or you could do it at the end of the day, or you could do it in the morning. These are all things to, I guess, turn towards and understand what do I like? Do I like to write on rubbish pieces of paper that I can just um, you know, not, not really take care of, or do I want to get a special journal and a special pen and create, you know, the mood in the room to really zone myself in and use it as a meditative space. And these are all experiments to play with and understand um, what works for you. Yeah, I, I do that at the end of the day. So I journal twice a day. In the morning is forward thinking. Uh, so what, am, what are my plans and actions uh, goals and dreams for the day and then at the end of the day it's uh, it's reflection and it's well what happened today what am I hanging on to that I need to process what am I feeling out of my interactions out of that meeting out of whatever it is uh, but one of the things one of those steps that I really love uh, in that book where you talk about writing and having that conversation with yourself and I think it's the the last step where you, you thank your feelings I really love that because I never used to do that. But uh, after reading the book, uh, or that part of the book, I um, I started thanking my feelings at the end of it. Because when you do that, then you don't judge them as good or bad. It's a sign or it's a signal from your heart and mind and your body that things are just not quite right and that you should be pivoting and changing. And it's a, re it's a really powerful message, that, that part of the book about writing to yourself, especially for... Uh, couples who are uh, this pandemic is either bringing couples together uh, which uh, thankfully is happening in my relationship which is great it's made us closer than ever it's incredible but I know a lot of other couples that are arguing non-stop and there's conflict and this uh, you know for people to sit and take time and to write down you know noticing their thoughts and feelings and that part of the book was just beautifully written, so practical, and I highly recommend that people read that part of the book, especially if, if you're, you find that your feelings are like a yo-yo at the moment. I think it's a really, just a, to, um, to go slightly deeper on that, I think this stacking thing that I was talking about, emotions that, you know, we stack on top of guilt, we stack on top of guilt and shame about our feelings, um, that comes from a self-critical place, you know, and I think that what writing does, has, it gives us an opportunity to um, come from a place of self-compassion where we can say, wow, what a lot of stuff you're dealing with right now. What a lot of stuff is going on. Um, yes. And let's say, you know, you know, welcome to these feelings that are driving us to do particular things or sending us signals about what to do. 
Um, and wow, let's think, how do we do that? How do we put you um, self in a, in a good position? So that distance allows us to, to look at ourselves in, with the same compassion that we would give somebody that we love, which sounds ridiculous, but we don't often come from that position when we're thinking about ourselves. And if we can do that analysis of self through a self-compassion lens and say, God, thank you. Thank you for sending me that, that message. Thank you for showing up. Um, I'm not going to feel ashamed of you. I'm not going to squash you. I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to not tell anyone about you. I, I, I hear that you're there and, and, I, and I'm here to help. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, you mentioned in the, uh, uh, in the book to watch out for um, uh, certain new behaviours and one of those sort of coping behaviours that people are turning to, which is a distraction, is uh, binge-watching TV, uh, drinking lots of alcohol. My alcohol sales has gone, gone through the roof. <laughs> and I mentioned also addiction to pornography. But on the point of drinking too much and just absolutely just letting your diet just go nuts. And I know I, I did that uh, for about <laughs> a week where we just started ordering pizza and pasta and drinking you know, bottles of red wine. And it felt great for a few days. <laughs> it actually felt liberating um, emotionally. But you mentioned in the book, it's a trap, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, um, I, I talk about it sort of trick, trick safety behavior. So they kind of give you the illusion that they're helping keep you safe emotionally. And um, again, there's probably nothing wrong with them on an emotional level if we use them for an acute phase, uh, but when they start being used in a chronic way to manage our emotions, that's when we really get into trouble because these trick safety behaviors won't work for, for that long and they'll start spinning off into other problems. So we then, you know, obviously Alessandra would talk about all the biochemical um, impact. I was just about to ask Alessandra, yeah. yeah, the behavior is one thing, but from a physical perspective, how, uh, why is it really important that we don't slip into these habits? Because a lot of people think, oh, I can just break it when I go back to normal. But uh, the damage to ourselves physically uh, and to our microbiome can take weeks and months to reverse, can't it? Yeah, of course. And the question also is related to, you know, those, those cravings are, are real and, um, you know, in, in my experience of working with many people with addictions, you know, beyond uh, the COVID space, making those um, value-based uh, decisions or, or having those value-based questions, as in, is this going to serve me in the long term? I know even when people have the knowledge of the damage, um, you know, at physical level, those cravings can be so strong because let's remember that those cravings start in the brain and the brain really is the master of manipulation when it comes to orchestrating physical demands and desires. And so I find that even when people at cognitive level understand this is not useful, they might be able to overcome that maybe, you know, the first time, the second time, but then the pull is so strong that they still end up you know, ordering in or visiting the fridge too many times or pouring that extra glass of wine. And so 
I think that if that is the case for any of the listeners, that is very much a red flag for me that this has gone beyond just the behavioral and this is very much biochemical. And to break that cycle, um, you really need to intervene at chemical levels first whilst you're still doing all the other work, you know, the emotional and the cognitive work. And so in terms of the lockdown and the isolation, most of these cravings are very much linked to a brain where the energy levels are depressed. And particularly as we're going into winter, many people have a number of genetic variants that make them prone to bottom out on their serotonin. So this is when we start seeing strong cravings for alcohol, particularly carbohydrates, whether sweet or not. So pizza, pastas, sweets, those kinds of things. And that's because the brain is able to then self-medicate. So carbohydrates, so an alcohol is a carbohydrate, pushes up levels of tryptophan in the brain. So it allows, it basically deactivates the bouncers that sit outside the brain and decide who gets in and who doesn't. When we eat carbohydrates, we're basically moving the bouncers out of the way and we're allowing the tryptophan to flood the brain and tryptophan then gets turned into serotonin. So it's a useful mechanism in that sense, but as Amy was saying, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a trick safety behavior. So from my perspective, then I recommend, um, you know, actually uh, taking a supplement that's a precursor to serotonin called 5-HTP. But I'm saying here within the context of this is something you need to double check with your healthcare provider because it has lots of interactions with a variety of drugs. But just so you know that if you're really stuck in that cycle and you've tried all the other things, that there might be an actual biochemical deficiency. And then when you have resolved that, it means that everything is just going to go ching, 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 like a domino effect. And then it will be a lot easier for you to implement behavior change. Yeah. The, but how does, that, how does that craving come out of the blue? I mean, uh, for someone that's been plant-based predominantly with the odd paleo thrown in, I have not had bread or pasta or pizza for a long, long time. And then just bang, it was a trigger. So if this is not something that you experience, because many people experience that going into winter, yeah? So with the depletion of light, also serotonin uh, comes down. So for people where this is not a, a regular thing, then I would say I would very much look at everything that Amy said, because that is indicative of the massive change and crisis scenario that your brain has gone through, which then, so that's very much the case of emotion first, then physical. Yeah. Yes. And so working on the awareness piece and all the beautiful tips that Amy shares in the book, developing that awareness, I think that's definitely the way to go much more than the physical aspect. I, th I think there's also, sorry, there's also just to lean on that a little bit as well. It, it's also a, a time where, we are in crisis, whether we recognize it or not and how in touch we are with it or not. Um, and so we will be triggered into nostalgic ways of coping with things. And so there may be an old living habit for you to turn towards something that lifts your energy in moments of crisis. And that habit will have been established long before the plant-based paleo. Spot on. Yeah, completely paleo. agree. Yeah. Childhood that comes back again. 
Yeah, and yes. you know, many people have these memories of um, uh, of youth, you know, where, you know, sitting around the table and eating the beautiful apple pie that the grandmother had made, that there's a real connection of satisfaction and love. And self-nurturing yeah. and it pulls on that. It's almost, you know, and we, we, we were laughing the other day with the client because when, when you um, have a behaviour like that, you could almost see it as self-compassion, you know, that you're kind of saying, what do I need right now? I need comfort. I need um, something that feels familiar and warm and cosy and gives me memories of. And so, you know, that's why these sorts of things, and Alessandra and I both really firmly believe um, it, you know, once off or a week, you know, it's really not going to make much difference. It's, it's the awareness piece of having all these different tools of, of what makes me get through this thing um, and what, what's going to keep me safe now and then getting on top of it relatively quickly and kind of going, oh, hang on a moment, and it makes me feel good now, but it's not going to make me feel good if I continue it. So being able to, to flip between those two, that's the conscious piece that we, we've both been talking about. That's the choice. Point. Yeah. It's having an understanding of self that that enables you to have pizza and pasta for a week because you're conscious that you need it because that this is a crisis. But then having the consciousness to kind of go and not next week. Yes. And look, your book goes a long way into knowing thyself to be able uh, to discover as much as possible, but it also helps to have conversations with um, experts such as yourselves as well. Uh, like, because you just said something that absolutely, you know, grounded me and told me where that, where that, uh, you know, um, default state that I went to. Because when we uh, when we left Beirut during the civil war for a long time, we we're under lockdown until we could get out of the country and we just ate bread you know and i think the odd herbs you know zatar or something like that so uh that could have been that trigger because we were in lockdown and um so for anyone that's listening as well the book is incredible but also uh, don't hesitate to reach out uh, to the uh, ladies as well we're going to have their websites links in the description so i just wanted uh, if that's okay with you ladies <laughs> Yeah, yes. of course, absolutely. And uh, uh, and the other thing that um, I really wanted to mention is that um, as a result of getting the book out there, as I mentioned earlier, this was really a, a, a labor of love. We are extremely passionate about helping people empower themselves because we truly believe that with self-mastery, we can all rise up and increase our consciousness, raise the consciousness of the planet. So, as you know, um, you know we, we both work in the realm of high performance, but there, there's a loftier value that sits behind it that is, you know, what would the planet look like, yeah, if we all were always consciously aware of our choices and we always ask the question, where's the good in this for everybody? So we've been really inundated with lots of questions of how to apply this to my own personal life and, you know, um, can you give us suggestions for this in the same vein as some of the questions you've asked today. So as a way of helping further, we are actually um, launching just today. I don't know when this podcast is going to go out, but it's the 1st of May. So we're launching a Brace for the Week, which is basically a lunchtime um, getting together every Friday to look at the week that was 
and what are the topical themes that have transpired through the news as well as the things we've heard from um, clients and people who've approached us and then discussing one topic that's relevant for this week and then working out what is one thing we need to do to be prepared for the week. So it's a complimentary service. It's open to everybody. People can just email us the questions ahead of time or they can just jump in. It's no video. So you can come with your bedhead or your beard if you want to, or your unshaven armpits. We don't mind. (laughs) Bring your questions, your anxieties, your worries. And um, we are really showing up doing this in a position of service. That is uh, beautiful. And we are going to be um, releasing the, this podcast immediately because of the importance and the timing of it is critical for a lot of people who need to not just listen to the podcast but uh, know about Brace for the Week and uh, also uh, about Brace for Impact. And uh, you can tell from the book you've come from a place of service and that's something I want to talk about because uh, towards the end of the book you talk about the importance of compassion Uh, towards others and this is uh, something that's open for discussion uh, for both of you so Alessandra would know that we have a framework one of our frameworks at a higher branch is the eight areas of life that fill fundamental human needs Uh, the tree of health the tree of love the tree of family the tree of work the tree of friendship the tree of learning the tree of wealth and the tree of charity and charity represents a fundamental human need for contribution And I love the contribution uh, that you guys have made uh, in this book. But I want to talk about the importance of showing compassion towards others, not just for them, but how important it is for us emotionally to fill that fundamental human need and for us physically as well. So can you both comment on why it's important to show love and compassion towards others rather than hoarding, hoarding and distancing, treating people like lepers as we come out of this? Because uh, your book isn't just about COVID-19. It's, what, it's about after. It's about breaking through that and, you know, how we come out of it at the other end. So why is it so important for us to show compassion from an emotional point of view and, Alessandra, from a physical point of view, what happens to us? biologically and electrically as well from uh, from our understanding of the of our of the human race we are you know a pack animal we we survive and thrive with each other um there are very few um, examples of people who have opted out um we we are drawn to be together and in fact it's it's part of our hard wiring um is to is to seek connection and safety through that connection and um, one of the earliest sort of definitions of what a civilized uh, group was um, was uh, given when when it was around the idea of a, a, a civilized a group of people who looked after each other. So the very first sign of a civilization is is a, uh, in the bones. When you look at the bones of a um, of a tribe, is that somebody has managed to live once their leg has been broken. Um, And so because that's a sign that, you know, in an uncivilized state, that person wouldn't survive. They wouldn't be able to get food when their leg was broken. Um, A civilized state is when the group takes compassion and provides for somebody who's in need. And that very connection is, is what a civilization is. And so we are absolutely primed to look after each other. 
even though there are lots of messages to, to take care of self, our biological need and our social survival depends on being able to create a tribe of people who can support each other. And so we are absolutely hardwired to do that. Um, yeah, so that's uh, in incredibly important. Uh, it gives us a huge amount of connection and safety through that, through that lens of compassion. And the same goes from uh, the, the physical aspect completely reflects this as well. We know from some of the work that Professor Bruce Lipton has done that um, cells that are actually um, sort of showered with uh, love react in very different ways. So there seem to be that there are some epigenetic changes, so meaning that the DNA itself doesn't change, but there is a communication between the external environment and the DNA when there is love and compassion surrounding it. So earlier I was talking about the DNA mutations. So there seems to be that at physical level, there is actually a, a, a very concrete change in how love and compassion changes mechanisms inside the body. I know that Personally, in my practice, I've done some preliminary uh, uh, studies looking at measuring heart rate variability, and which is one of the most powerful markers of uh, well-being in the body and is a very powerful marker of how well the two branches of the nervous system are working together in balance. So the fight or flight sympathetic or the rest and digest parasympathetic. So the higher the heart rate variability, which is the space where the heart rhythm moves, basically, the better in sync these two aspects are. And so doing some work with clients around measuring heart rate variability when doing meditations around compassion and love, actually seeing the heart rate variability spike. So we're using actual um, physical, um, you know, gizmos that, allow us to, you know, wearables that allow us to measure the uh, heart rate variability in real time. And that's what compassion and love do. It's incredible. I love that. And that's, that's an area of particular interest uh, at the moment. So I'm really keen on that uh, research, uh, Alessandra. We'll stay in touch because yeah. I'd like to deeper dive on that and introduce you to a couple of experts um, in that space in Sydney and uh, perhaps we can collaborate on that. I'd love to know more about heart rate variability, but what a beautiful uh, you know, point you both made about the importance of uh, compassion and the importance it is for us emotionally and uh, physically. I, I wanna finish, because I know you're both very busy. I wanna finish with uh, just sharing with uh, everyone that's listening at the moment, what should their daily schedule look like from the moment they wake up I mean, without prescribing, you know, our own uh, personal schedules, I mean, we'll all have our own, but perhaps a universal one that just will keep people in that solid state of mind, you know, uh, to, uh, to make sure that they are, stay solid physically and emotionally as well. So from the moment they wake up to they go to sleep, what should they do, like, um, step by step? And obviously, you know, uh, what happens in between is work and errands, but the times, those little segments we need to make in the day, you know, to, uh, uh, to have a, a schedule because people are feeling lost at the moment. 
and they're lost. They working from home. They get up. They go to the fridge. They're dressed in their daggies, and they're just and then they turn on the TV, and then they're roped into you know an hour and a half of conspiracy theories, and then they realise oh they have to log back on because they need to be productive at work. Uh, and then they need to be sexy later on for their partner so they can have some intimacy. I mean, people are genuinely, genuinely lost and they're hanging on to the hope that they'll go back to normal. But we don't need to wait. So what does a, a really good schedule look like? Um, I, I'll, I'll go first. I think I, I, think I know <laughs> Amy's uh, sort of angle on this and I'll, I'll yeah. probably preempt it by saying that, again, for us, particularly in this period and in any period of massive change, um, moving on to and going a bit deeper on the compassion and self-compassion piece is that um, letting go of expectations of what normal should look like. Um, the conversations we're having are really around a lot of guilt exhaustion and for people who are parenting and trying to hold down a full-time job there is just so much going on that we're very mindful of not adding to their plate to say this is what you should be doing it's more about conversation around hey if you have completely let go of a routine you know perhaps be mindful of the fact that this is not serving you just because from you know, a mental and physical perspective, we have been wired for millions of years to respond to certain environmental cues. So if at the moment you have a complete lack of routine and you are fighting against the normal cycle of day-night, then it's just in the long run, this is really not going to, not going to serve you. So I, I will share sort of a, I will share what I consider as a beneficial routine, but with the caveat that, you know, if you don't do this, is not the end of the world. And this is not about striving for, for perfection, but perhaps some of the things I will mention might be useful and might tickle your desire to then start to reintroducing a routine. I also like to mention that most of our clients are not in the scenario that you've mentioned. So um, pretty much everybody we're working with is working silly hours. So there's really very little TV watching you know, during the day. Uh, it's mostly days of meeting after meeting after meeting on Zoom, trying to uh, get on top of the homeschooling and being able to maintain some level of productivity and then um, really struggling to find the time to put a structure in place to feed themselves and their family. So just be mindful of all of this. But um, generally speaking, I, I would recommend, you know, starting the day at natural waking time. So ideally, we would allow our um, brain to be woken up by natural light rather than an alarm. And so if you are able to have a room that facilitates the natural light in the morning, that will penetrate your eyelids, hit the pineal gland in the brain, and then basically turn on the mechanisms of awakening. This is dependent on what happens the night before. So if you're consistently going to bed at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, which is what I've done the last two weeks, <laughs> I don't recommend it because then the next day you won't be able to wake up at the natural time. Waking up in the morning, I think many of our clients are waking up already with the sort of wired sensation of, oh my gosh, so much to do. Where do I start? So taking a breath and expressing a message of gratitude, whether to a loved one who did something good or someone in your team or to yourself for being able to get in through the day, um, the day before. I really love to 
um, enmeshed science with Ayurveda. So if there is time in the morning, I recommend that having a brief self-massage uh, with some oil on your arms and your legs and your face is a good way to start establishing physical connection is good for the circulation. We're going towards winter. At the moment, with high stress levels, our essential fatty acids get depleted. So we all tend to have dry skin, which then in Ayurvedic medicine disturbs our mind even more. So just a little bit of olive oil, coconut oil, just very, you know, just a few drops and just doing this, it will take 30 seconds. So it's a, it's a simple grounding exercise. Um, the next thing that I would recommend to boost your immunity is just having a shower. So you're getting rid of the oil, have the shower, at whatever temperature you like, but introduce a habit of doing just 30 seconds of a cold shower. So a new study came out this month that compared 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and 120 seconds of cold shower in terms of the immune boosting. And 30 seconds is all it needs. There's no extra benefit. That will also, and will give also an extra jolt of adrenaline and dopamine to, to you know, help you um, wake up. Some people farewell with breakfast, others don't. It doesn't matter, but be mindful that um, when we're so stressed, skipping lots and lots of meals in a way that's not conscious is not useful. It will make you feel more stressed. So decide in the morning how you're going to break your fast, whether it's breakfast or whether it's a brunch time and decide what that's going to, to, to look like. I'm a huge fan at the moment of snap frozen vegetables and pouches, you know, pre-cooked pouches of, uh, of rice and then having a leftover protein from the night before. It makes a very healthy, very quick meal that allows you to, uh, you know, to, to do that. Um, morning exercise would be better. So if you have a dog, fantastic, get out. 20 minutes of uh, sunlight exposure. If that's not possible, you have young children, just some rough and tumble play, get your heart rate going and introduce that playfulness with the kids. All of these things don't need to take a long time, even five minutes of playfulness. As Amy was saying, it's not about what it looks like, it's more establishing the habit. So maybe pick just one thing out of these that, you know, that, that really help. Um, maybe I'll, I'll let... Amy, go on to the next bit. Oh, no, I, I'm not going to talk about routine, so you can. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so at the moment, um, one thing that we are hearing is that working online a lot of the time is really exhausting for many people. I remember when I do a lot of online coaching, and so I remember the first year how exhausting that was. So I just have a couple of tips. Now, you might be at the mercy of someone who's dictating what's in your diary in terms of the meetings, so perhaps there's not a lot you can do about, about that. But bring, bring consciousness into it and perhaps raising your hand and saying, do we need to have back-to-back -back meetings? Ideally, we would allow at least 20 minutes in between meetings and you then would be able to just focus not to the lens, yeah, but resetting your focus, your gaze. So in Ayurveda, we talk a lot about the gaze and how this affects the mind. When you are constantly fixing your attention on a lens, yeah, it's very uh, counter um, what we used to. Because we usually live, if you remember, you know, evol evolving on the savanna, big spaces, yeah. Uh, what happens is that that increases the energy of fire, 
Yeah. So that means that we start building up frustration, anger, and impatience. So gaze outside. Amy's got beautiful tips around senses and just bring it. that these are all in the book, you know, so really hearing or looking at something that brings you into the present. So establish that, you know, that little routine and be kind to yourself. Amy and I both have young children, a simple sentence of gratitude that you actually have children Break your lunchtime. Take a five-minute walk outside. Connect to that um, to that environment. Ending the day with every tab on the laptop. Power everything down, and actually don't just close the laptop, but turn it off. That's is a simple thing to do to signify to your brain that's the end of the day. And clean your desk. Clear it. Put the clutter away. Have it ready so that the next day when you show up, it's a new day. Maybe have a plant. Have something that brings joyfulness. And evenings should be for fun. You know, before we had Netflix and all these things, we'd be playing games together. We'd be talking. Remember to uh, bring in that social connection because even though we're on top of each other, that doesn't necessarily mean we actually are connecting at deep level. So having meals together, asking how your day was and asking, we love in our family asking the question, what was good today? So one thing that was really good and asking why that is. And I know Amy and I have this thing um, about family challenges. Um, Amy's challenges are usually spectacular. And she talks about that and how some of the challenges have had to change. Um, we're doing a family challenge at the moment, which is um, achieving the splits, getting to do the splits as a family. So in the evening, we just spend 10 minutes. We use an app. And we do something like that and we completely laugh at each other because it's just probably never going to happen. But uh, it's, a, it's a useful way to introduce playfulness and be mindful of sleep. So there's no prescription on what time you should be going to bed, but just be mindful that the longer, the later you go to bed, even if you're getting eight hours and you get up later, you're going to be skimping on deep sleep, which happens in the first part of the night. So I hope this is helpful. There's a lot of information there. And again, it's about more working out what is the cycle, be aware of these peaks and troughs of energy and don't beat yourself up about it and um, move with compassion and self-kindness around this and maybe just bookend, get the morning right, the waking up part and the going to bed right. Oh, that's a beautiful rundown. Awesome, awesome. Uh, I learned a lot there myself, Alessandra. So uh, beautiful tips for any, uh, everyone that's listening. And um, uh, Amy, did you want to add anything to that? Oh, oh that was so comprehensive. No, just the, the only thing is, is that I am um, somebody who thrives in the moment. And, and so my routines um, don't look quite as neat um and and so my my overriding message i think is about that piece that you talked about sam around um the review end of the at the beginning of the day and being responsive to that so that it's a i mean we both really strongly believe this is a nudge um thing you know going from you know, no routine and Netflix on the couch to expecting a high routine of yourself would be just cruel. And so we, neither of us would recommend that. We, we are looking for one notch up, you know, and that one notch is you learning to be responsive to self. So what is the one thing that you could practice tomorrow that you think on the evidence of today would be a useful uh, thing to do? So uh, just the, the gradualness of this, the 
uh, the ever-growing need to respond to self and our complex environment. That's uh, beautifully said. And your book is certainly filled with um, so, many, uh, so many options that it gives people to infuse new routines, new habits. Uh, there's so many techniques in there. You know, speaking to both of you, I could tell from reading the book that you've come from a place of, you know, love and uh, compassion and looking after your community and, and the, the broader community. And I really, really recommend this book. You know, it's, uh, I, I wish, in fact, I had a paper, <laughs> a paperback version, and I hope you do release a paperback version, but they can get it at braceforimpact.com. Is that right? .com.au, yes, braceforimpact.com.au. And it's available. We haven't said it yet, but it's it's a complimentary book. We are uh, giving it away because we feel really strongly that um, this is how we can help is to to make the uh, passing of, on of this book viral. So um, we, we really do want people to have access to this uh, without cost being something that interferes. Yeah, and um, I get the sense maybe the book should should also be called Embrace for Impact because <laughs> the, nice. uh, embrace in in uh, in you know parentheses, but uh, because yeah, there's there's just this uh, even though there's tips uh, in there, there's also this sense of community and you bringing it together, offering it as a free ebook. I mean, I can't stress how generous that is. And the amount of time you guys have put into this book, you know, uh, is just incredible. The other thing that I, I love is the uh, uh, brace for the week. Uh, so how do people get onto that And uh, every Friday? What time is it uh, every Friday? It's actually starting in 20 minutes <laughs> today. <laughs> um, it's always going to be at 12 o'clock till 12.30. Um, and you can find out about it on the website, braceforimpact.com.au or by emailing us at evolve at braceforimpact.com.au. Okay, and they will get the link. And they'll get the evergreen link that will just stay until we find a different way that works. Uh, that sounds beautiful. Well, I've really enjoyed uh, our time together. I hope you, you have as well. Thank you, Alessandra and Amy. Thank you Thank for you having so us. It's a real pleasure and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you face-to-face and doing this uh, again in a studio. Well, that's all from us today at A Higher Branch. And now more than ever is the time to live holistically and consciously. Take care.